Throughout the 1980s, a strange phenomenon was sweeping North America. They were in a panic. And like people in a panic, they want solutions. Allegations of underground satanic cults torturing and terrorizing children. The thing is, there were no satanic cults preying on children. And nearly 30 years later, the people touched by it all are still picking up the pieces. This isn't a work of fiction. This is a work of history. Satanic Panic, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Israeli troops are now fighting Hamas militants in the southern city of Khan Yunus. Since the temporary ceasefire ended last week, hundreds of Palestinians have been killed and at least 16,000 killed since the 7th of October, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. Issam Hamad is an engineer and regional manager of a medical equipment company. He fled to the south of Gaza with his family in the early stages of this war, and he is now in Rafah, on the border with Egypt, attempting to get out of Gaza. Isam, hello. How are you, Matt? How would you describe the current situation in Rafah right now? Deadly. I have been in Rafah now for about uh, six weeks, but in the last week it's uh, absolutely horrible because Rafah is now receiving hundreds of thousands from uh, Khan Yunis, the second largest city in Gaza Strip, and uh, everybody is flooding to, to Rafah where there is no refuge at all in Rafah. There is no single place to receive all these hundreds of thousands. Where, where are people sleeping? Where are people staying in that situation? Matt, to be quite honest with you and to try to describe a situation with which I never expected myself to speak like that, they are taking refuge in every place, every meter, even in, in uh, empty space. They are putting uh, plastic uh, sheets and sitting in the cold under it, trying to take refuge in the streets, in the mosques, in the shops, and everywhere. Add to that the lack of resources now, it's uh, absolutely horrible. You have five kids, and you are trying to get them out of Gaza. Tell me a little bit about how you're doing that. Well, uh, I have a kid who is uh, sick. He has cerebral palsy. He was born in Ireland in 1997, and he holds an Irish nationality. I spoke to the Department of Foreign Affairs in, uh, in Ireland and they uh, welcomed me to, uh, to a family reunion and take me from here to Ireland. They did not accept to take, unfortunately, my uh, two children who are uh, above 18. They only accepted that I travel with the three, three kids. So I'm trying hard now to take the other two into Egypt and take refuge and then go to Ireland, try to... Uh, later to bring them or, or try to find somewhere where we can rejoin again. Do you know when those who are going to be able to get to Ireland, when they're going to be able to get out of Gaza? Do you have any sense as to when they'll be able to get through the border? Today, two of the children appeared on the list, but uh, me and my wife and the other child did not appear on the list. So we are waiting that uh, the five of us appear on the list and then we travel to Egypt if, if it's possible. There's also your father, right? He's 93. My father is a different story altogether. He, is, uh, he actually also cannot move. Look, it's, it's uh, time to tell you a story of a friend who couldn't leave Gaza because of his father. He's 89 years old uh, and he cannot move and he had to stay in Gaza. Today, he died with 12 of his uh, members of his family mm. because of, uh, of the bombing on the, direct on their house in Gaza. 
It's, 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 the situation is terrible, Matt. It's unbelievable. You are seeing every day hundreds uh, of people losing their lives for no reason. For no reason. I wish I could take them all to a refuge to uh, somewhere in the world, uh, a country who can receive us until this terrible story ends. But we have, we have nothing to do. We are helpless. We have to face uh, imminent death without uh, be, with being, feeling paralyzed. Can do nothing. So you'll have to leave him behind? Well, if you, if you can advise me with uh, another thing that I can do, hmm. I am ready to, to hear. You know, t- tears will, will, will go out of my eyes now, but uh, I have nothing to do. My heart is broken. What lengths are people trying to take to get out of Gaza, to get their families across the border? It's, it's, it's very difficult. The passage is very difficult and complicated unless you have a, a government outside which uh, talks to the Egyptian government to, to put the names. You know, you have a, cross point, a, a crossing point which takes uh, about seven or 800 uh, persons every day only. So if you want to get 100,000 persons from Gaza, how many days do you, want, do you have to do that? My names have been put in the list from the Irish authority. Now it's about 10 days and still did not appear on the list, the whole of them. You have how many members of your family with you? 37. 37? Yeah. I have a daughter. She has three kids. We lost her husband in this, in this war. She's with me now. I have a, kid, a, a, a son who has two children, he and his wife also with me here, and I have to leave them here behind. And I have my, my, my other uh, two sisters, and one of them has her, her daughter. She's a lecturer in the university with her here. You and I spoke at the very beginning yeah. of this, and, and you, we've spoken a couple of times since, and I just wonder, how are you doing in all of this? Well, the situation is like this. I have nothing to do. I'm, 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 we are trying. We have, we have spoken to the Jordanians. We have spoken to the Egyptians. We have, uh, I, I have relatives in Canada. Uh, my, my, my brother was, uh, he's Canadian, my brother. He's just died a couple of months ago, and their, uh, their sons are trying to speak with the Canadian government in order to receive us in Canada to, to, until this story ends. We are trying to reach everybody. They situation with us here is some other story, fetching for food, for water, uh, all the soap, we don't, have, we don't have anything, anything. We don't have even pampers for the children, milk. We don't have milk for the children, for the babies. I have a, a, one of my relatives, he had a baby during the war. It's, it's uh, something very bad, very bad, very bad. He said, I'm, glad, bad, I'm glad to talk to you again. Um, I hope that you get through and that your family gets through, but also that the rest of your family who, who can't make it through, your father and others, I, I wish them the very best in what is an awful situation. Today we had from uh, my relative in Canada that uh, the, uh, the Canadian government now is uh, discussing for uh, allowing the extended families to arrive in Canada. I hope that this uh, happens soon. So I may be in Canada if, if this happens. Or even we may die before all of that. But this is life, unfortunately. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Anytime, you're welcome. Thanks, Isa. Thank you.
Isam Hamad is an engineer and regional manager of a medical equipment company. We reached him in Rafah. There are growing calls from nations and international organizations for a return to a ceasefire. Dr. Christos Christou is the president of Médecins Sans Frontières International. He's just returned from the region. He's now in Geneva. Doctor, hello to you. Hello, Matt. As you understand it, what is the situation on the ground right now in the south of Gaza? I think there's no better way to describe the situation than his just did. This is the everyday reality for hundreds of thousands of people and families. And indeed, the situation in Gaza, in southern Gaza at this moment, is mirroring what we've been witnessing in northern Gaza the previous weeks. Uh, it is a chaotic situation. People are living on the streets and they have to move every day seeking for uh, safety, let alone also uh, seeking for medical care that is, uh, is not available in most of the places where they are at the moment. When you mention medical care, what's the state of, of the health infrastructure in Gaza right now? So the state of the hospitals, more than 70% of the hospitals this moment do not function in Gaza. Almost none of them function in northern Gaza and very few in uh, southern Gaza. We are uh, present in Al Nasser Hospital, which is the big one, the big burn unit. And we also developed some activities in uh, some clinics. But again, I repeat, uh, when we see the amount of uh, injured patients and also the amount of uh, diseases that they appear now because of the very bad uh, living conditions, the uh, capacity of the hospital cannot respond to this. There was a seven-day truce, um, and I'm wondering what that meant for your organization's operations in Gaza. What were you able to do in that seven days that you haven't been able to do before or since? We were able to at least move some of our surgical supplies and medical supplies in. It was a kind of breath. We were able also to assess the situation in a few of these hospitals and uh, see how of them uh, we can uh, function again and uh, how we can uh, uh, strengthen the, their capacity. But uh, these seven days were not enough uh, to really uh, deploy all our activities. That is why we insist that this moment what we need is a sustained ceasefire. A ceasefire that uh, to our opinion is the only way to stop these indiscriminate killings and the civilian harm. We're going to hear from the Israeli ambassador to Canada in just a moment, but one of the reasons why we've heard this over the course of this war, that a sustained ceasefire has not unfolded, is because the Israeli government has said that that would allow Hamas to reconstitute itself, that it would allow Hamas to rearm itself. Um, what do you say in, in, in the face of those comments? What I can say is that I cannot tolerate anymore this amount of civilians that they have paid the price in this war. I cannot tolerate the more than 7,000 kids that they died, they were killed. And that is why we insist that there's only the end of uh, this uh, uh, war that can help, can help uh, the people, can provide the protection to the people. We need to end also the siege. Uh, it is impossible this moment to deliver any humanitarian aid. These people need food, water, fuel, electricity. And uh, what we see is outrageous, it's inhumane. What do you want from the UN Security Council? There have been growing calls, and we saw a move yesterday by the Secretary General to invoke uh, an article that would force the Security Council, at the very least, to, to, to discuss this and perhaps act. What do you want to see from the Security Council right now? I also addressed a letter to the Security Council, and I asked for a sustained ceasefire. I asked for the lifting of the siege. I asked for the flow of humanitarian aid that should be increased immediately. Instead, what we see, it shrinks every day as the violence intensifies. Also, I emphasized on the importance 
of uh, protecting the healthcare system and uh, protecting the medical care itself. We have seen systematic attacks and we have seen how big hospitals have been destroyed. And uh, we have also unfortunately experienced that uh, by losing three of our colleagues next to the several other colleagues and medical workers that have been killed because of the attacks in the medical care. So I said to the Security Council that I expect them to understand that nowhere in Gaza is safe at the moment. And people are told to evacuate zone after zone but there is nowhere safe to go. They have to stop this now. We call to show humanity. Dr. Christo, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Dr. Christos Christou is the president of MSF International. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ido Moed is Israel's ambassador to Canada. Ambassador, hello to you. Good morning, Matt. Thank you for being back on the program. As we've heard, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have fled to the south of Gaza. Most cannot get out of Gaza. Where are they supposed to go to stay safe? I think the first responsible entity would have been the Hamas terrorist organization. They are responsible. They claim they are responsible for the Gaza Strip. They prepared the war for years. They have not prepared the centimeter of shelter for their own population. They say that the United Nations should take care of them, that the tunnels are meant for them to fight, and that the United Nations should take care of their people. So ask them. Last night, there was a residential building in Rafah that was bombed. This is an area that Israel told people to go to. People have been told to evacuate to areas that are now being bombed. And as we just heard from the head of MSF International, there is no safe place to go. So from Israel's perspective, where are people supposed to go to stay safe? I would, I would doubt very much what uh, uh, the doctor just said regarding a siege, uh, regarding the fact that no humanitarian aid is flowing into the Gaza Strip, or regarding the fact that hospitals are destroyed. But back to the issue of where people are supposed to go to stay safe. There are safe areas that have been designated by the Israeli government, but then there are bombings in those areas, bombings in the Shabura refugee camp last night in, in, in Rafah. So if those areas aren't safe for people, where should people go? People have been... Uh, informed very, very precisely where the safe areas and that's where they're going. I think that that uh, is the only way to fight a terrorist organization that use human uh, pe- humans as, as, as shields. And I think the only way to find a solution for this enormous violence is to make sure that Hamas terrorist organization does not exist anymore because they are the source of all this. If you want to liberate the, the Gaza Strip from Hamas, we have to be able to fight them. We're trying to do it as precisely as possible, as carefully as possible, while avoiding uh, hitting and harming people uh, that are not involved. I know that Hamas pushes people into harm's way. So we have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that when Israel is doing everything to save people's lives, they are doing the opposite. If in a, a specific instance, uh, uh, people get hurt. It is a war. Remember, we are in a war. We, on Saturday, October the 7th, there was a, a truce before that, 
and a war started that was not started by Israel. It was forced on us. This week, a this week, a spokesperson yeah. for the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, said that a ratio of two civilians killed for every one Hamas fighter is quote tremendously positive given combat challenges. Can you can you help us understand that calculation? How how is something like that positive? Any any death is horrific. There's nothing positive here. The terminology, uh, I'm sure, was not used that way. Uh, first of all, that, that, Second, that, that's a quotation from from a spokesperson oh, for the idea. Fine, fine. I just want to put this into perspective. A Israeli government doesn't see death of people as something positive. That's horrific. These are our neighbors, uh, but we are forced into a war that we have to win because, as they said, they'll do it again and again and again. So we have to win this war. Uh, when we are talking about how many people are dying here, it is very hard to tell who is a militant, who is a terrorist. Uh, but we know that they are all uh, all these people that are that we are looking for are the terrorists, and when they are pushing people into harm's way, when they force people to stay in apartments above their shelters underground, then sometimes people indeed may die. This is horrific. The Gaza, but that's the responsibility of Hamas. The Gaza Health Authority say that about seventy percent of those killed are women and children. And a Biden administration official said that the reported figures might actually be an undercount because of the number of bodies that could be buried under rubble. The Gaza Health Authority is Hamas. Let's remember that they are the ones who said that there were 500 casualties at uh, Arafa uh, uh, Hospital at the beginning of this war, when at the end of the day, there were less than a dozen. Again, so again a, fi a figure within stable. the White House says that those, those, those statistics are accurate and perhaps are undercounting the death toll. Right they are not saying that these figures are, are accurate. Somebody may estimate that they are undercounting. We don't know. We just don't know. It's a fact. We don't know the numbers. So let's say that, that we don't know the numbers. Uh, but any death is horrific. And what we're trying to do is avoid those as much as possible. But we are fighting a war. We are fighting a war against a monster that inflicted horrific, uh, 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 violent acts against humans. When these Doctors Without Borders speak to you, do they know, did they ever try to find one of the 137 hostages held out on the ground? There are people dying there in the hands of Hamas. They, are, they came to Israel, one of them almost is almost dead because of maltreatment, because a doctor, even uh, if I remember correctly, a pediatrician, held a hostage in his own home. So let's put things into perspective. This is a war. Nobody's really interested to know about the plight of 125,000 Israelis that are displaced or the hostages or anything else. We, we, only... we, we've certainly spoken a lot about that and spoken with family members of those who have been held hostage, family members of those who are waiting to, to see the, their, their loved ones released. One of the things, and you've seen the protests in Israel where, where those family members are calling on the Israeli government to work to get those hostages freed. There are still hostages being held 62 days after that horrific attack by Hamas. What is it, what is it going to take, just finally, from your perspective, to resume a ceasefire to get those hostages out? What would it take to stop the fighting to get those hostages out? The fighting will stop when we achieve our objectives, which is destroying Hamas, which is making sure that the Hamas regime does not exist anymore and that there is no threat posed to the people that are living along the area that borders with the Gaza Strip. This is the goal. 
That's very clear. And I think the population is re- really looking forward to be liberated from Hamas terrorists because they know that they suffer under them. They know that they have they had no chance. They know that the child mortality rate was horrific because Hamas didn't take care of the water infrastructure, the hospitals, and all the others that are now claimed to be uh, damaged by Israel. I think that their condition was very bad in the beginning to, to start with because Hamas didn't allow anybody to uh, take advantage of the aid that was flowing in. So the situation is horrific, but we will find a solution first by eliminating Hamas and then working to create new conditions for coexistence. Ambassador, we'll leave it there. I'm glad to have you back on the program and we'll speak again. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Ido Moed is Israel's ambassador to Canada. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.